Good morning. My name, <laughs> my name is Christina Kadimis, and I'm a member of the Bojangles Coliseum Community Group. And uh, this morning, I'm going to be reading from 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 15, and 24 and 25. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and he grew, grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. Of the, in the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went in to her and lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So the Lord called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, Thank you, Christine, for reading the word for us and informing us that there is always chicken at their community group. Is that right, uh, Christine? Bojangles chicken and fries every week? No, not quite. Okay, all right, all right. Um, I just first time I heard about the Bojangles Coliseum community group, and the first thing come to my mind is not prayer in the word. It was chicken. Okay, I'm like y'all. I'm like y'all. Um, thank you, uh, Pastor Josh, um, for bringing... 
uh, bringing up the uh, sabbatical stuff. And um, I just want to go ahead and highlight for you uh, Dr. Barbara Peacock, who is um, doing our spiritual direction during our sabbatical. Just interesting, we talk about spiritual formation and direction. Um, it started with my mother, who led me to the Lord and discipled me, and is now being led by someone I would describe as a mother of the faith, Dr. Peacock. I am looking forward to spiritual mothering, uh, her spiritual mo mothering me and Kelly, and, and taking us through and discipling us in the Word of God. And so this is an exciting thing. The Lord found this uh, woman for us. She was uh, saw her at the Charlotte Justice Conference, and she spoke there, and she has her own ministry um, in this area. And um, we've already met with her a couple of times, and it has been amazing. But we continue in on our, in, on our journey um, uh, through Samuel and the personal life of King David and how its brokenness affects the lives, King David's broken life affects the lives of those under his care and oversight. We saw how David's sin took root within his exhaustion and his doubt he takes a beautiful woman, Bathsheba, who was the wife of someone else, Uriah. And when she gets pregnant in, in this one way violating affair, David has Bathsheba's husband killed. So it's okay to marry and keep her for himself. And much has been made about the effects of David's sin. His Effects of his sin on himself, right? You got Psalm 51, his, the Psalm of Confession and all of that. And we have all crossed the line like him in mistreating others. But on the other side, we have all been victims, right? We, we all bear the scars, scars of someone else's greed and lust and misguided power. And so in part two of this message, I should but can't say no, we will focus on when you can't say no to how someone else's sin has and will hurt you. There are three lessons from this passage I want us to embrace. Number one, first, we must recognize our humanity. Secondly, we must recognize God's protection. And finally, we must realize we are peculiar. Human, protected, peculiar. Last week, woman shepherd Bonnie Grigg talked about her work as, as a nurse with the Stanley County Pregnancy Center. And she echoed what we believe to be true at Christ Central. We believe in the sanctity of human life from the womb to the tomb, right? And that means we believe that human, being human is special, that we are created differently than all of God's creation. One of the Psalms, the perpetrator in our story, David wrote, that should have informed his thinking and his dealings with Bathsheba and Uriah is Psalm 139. And in verse 14 of that Psalm, it says this, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, Lord. My soul knows it very well. And when the Psalm says wonderful, it means set apart. It means special. It means different than all other creations. Humans are created and thus treated special by God. 
Humans reflect the image and person of God unlike any other creation. The psalm also describes being created as being fearfully made. That word means terrifying. It means scary. It means terrible. It means awesome. It means jaw-dropping and paralyzing. And that fear is the same fear that is used to describe and define God's holiness. Being human means that you and I are crowned, created, endowed with the glory, wonder, and holiness of God just by being here. Just in how we are and, and what we do here, just, just existing, just breathing, just being conceived. And, and I believe this is what David saw, though it improperly downloaded through his sinful heart, when he saw Bathsheba bathing, she in naked innocence reflected at the core and displayed at the core as the passage describes as very beautiful to look at extra. It magnified wonder, the wonder God creates in her looks. When he saw her as corny and coming to American as she can be, he should have been able to do one of two things. Man, she is beautiful. There is a God, right? Or on the other side, this knowledge is too wonderful for me right? To be just about what I want. I see God's glory and honor in this. I should fear and be careful in how I handle it. I should ask questions like, should I be looking at this? Should I be taking this in? Should I even be in the place I am? What am I doing walking around on a rooftop? It should have made him reflect because he saw something terrible and awesome and holy. Because what I am seeing is the Lord's doing and is reflective of his holy and wonderful works that are higher, hear me, higher and more important than my desires, than my hunger, than my personal judgment and how all of this fits in my world for my consumption and use. We don't do this, but this is a checklist we should sort of go through in dealing with human beings. Everyone, every human under the sound of my voice and not under the sound of my voice is too wonderful, is too much, created too awesome, too outside the realm of our understanding of how they got so wonderful, too close to divine, too grand, too big, too extra, too beautiful, too holy to be consumed and used and abused and disrespected and mistreated and manipulated by the whims and imaginations and actions of anyone, including including yourself with yourself. Because you are like Bathsheba in this story. In your naked humanity. You know what? You are beautiful. You're beautiful. You're wonderful. You are fearfully, awesomely, incredibly, Made by God. But even with all of that wonder and glory, because we are human, we are vulnerable in this fallen world. Nathan the prophet, in the first four verses of chapter 12 that was read to us, he sets a trap for David through a story. He describes one man as rich with many lambs, and the other as poor with just one, and as very responsible and loving to that one lamb. And the rich man is ha as having the power and social angle to actually take the one lamb away for his self-centered, greedy purposes. 
Now, throughout this passage, in, in the chapter before, in chapter 11 and 12, you, you, you see a lot of angles and you see a lot of spaces and places going on here throughout this true story. David on a higher rooftop, Bathsheba, seeable and, and naked, her husband as a soldier in a submissive, must-obey position who's not aware of what's going on in the letters and what's happening. And he is not in an, in an informed place in society. He, he, he's third shift, right? He doesn't, he's not in the office of management. And Bathsheba, as a woman, was, was unfortunately little more than property to be handed around and owned back in these days. The Bible says she was brought to David. Which means stolen, according to Nathan's story about the lamb, right? She was at the very least, here's a word we, we, we know these days. She was at the very least sex trafficked to David and for his purposes, right? Powerless to say no. And then, then, lest we forget the youngest victim in the story, in verse 14, the child, the baby born to David and Bathsheba, got sick, suffered, and died. And then there are all kinds of stuff. If you read the next few, uh, next chapters in this book, all kinds of stuff happens to David's family as a result of this central issue. The Bible is teaching and confirming what many of us already know and have experienced. And many of you are living it right now. We are all human, which means we are all vulnerable. We're all vulnerable. And in vulnerable positions for the sin of others to affect us. And I'd have this in there, but even this idea of the, the radicalization of people at home, hearing stuff, folk who are little right or all the way right, people who are little left or extremely extreme left, radicalized. We're all vulnerable, y'all. Right? Whether it was, it is because we are like lamps. Right? In the story. Children. Or like children somehow in relationship with someone else. Under the care or carelessness of someone else. We're easily neglected and misused and abused in some way. We don't even, let's talk about the spousal relationship. And by extension, romantic relations with a bond and, and vow creates a peculiar dynamic. Especially if you're, you're, you're physically intimate with the person. It creates a peculiar dynamic that makes it easy to have your dignity available and made naked and, and sort of taken over and over and again, right? Where you can't get out. Why don't you just leave? Why don't you just get out? Because we're, we've been made vulnerable in our nakedness, in our, in our positions, in our situations, and in our relationships. Or maybe it's your job or a society where, where you're always a subordinate or, or a minority of some sense or, or as someone who is on the outs right now with others in the community and society. Maybe you're seen as not woke enough or plenty woke from the constant pain of macro and microaggressions within a historical and institution within historical and institutional racism. Or maybe you're just poor. Unemployed. And maybe you're, maybe you could be rich and, and, and employed and still ignorant about some things or emotionally desperate and needy of mercy and, and, the, and at the mercy of the decisions of others. And, and come on, this year, the pandemic, natural disasters even. And as much as some of us want to blame China, the Bible talks about pandemic level diseases and natural disasters that just happen to us. We are all vulnerable. 
simply because we are fallen humans in a fallen world. And as humans, we are not only sinners who break things, y'all, but we are broken and sinned against all the time. And here's the hard part. Like Bathsheba and, and Uriah in our story, you don't have to have been doing anything wrong. Some of y'all, you, you got married. It was right. Some of y'all loved the person that misused and abused you. Some of you trusted because you were supposed to. Some of you went to work. You obeyed your boss. You did what you were supposed to do. You did. You were in your place even though they were out of order. I've heard and talked about how this story should teach women about chastity. And not being, you know, uh, uh, naked and all out there and covering themselves up. And let me tell you, wrong text, wrong application. Nathan describes Bathsheba as a lamb, not a predator. She was just being her. I've heard that foolishness. Well, she needs to and on and on and women look at the story. Have you lost not just your mind, but your heart? For all of us, what and how God has made you beautiful, useful, and wonderful. Your beautiful humanity sits out there on a rooftop sometimes. And so, therefore, it's out there as targeted a pawn on a dangerous battlefield like, like Uriah, easily discarded even by people who, like David in the story, should actually be overseeing and protecting and promoting and caring for you who are, again, out of place, not just in how they stand over you, but out of order in their hearts and appetites and passions and want to consume you. Also, think about how so many of us are living with family curses where we are suffering and shackled and trafficked and dying as a result of stuff that happened way before you were born. <laughs> right? Like the, like the baby in the story that ends up dying. Some of you are sick emotionally and mentally and financially and all kinds of stuff. Sick and, and kind of depleted and how to know how to, how to love somebody, how to be married, how to be a parent, how, how to live in this life because of something in your family way back. And it's interesting, sometimes you find out, well, so-and-so did this. And you're like, oh, I get it. Even in the history of this country, you were just born here. In this skin. In this part of the nation. In this geography. But the Bible says this, and you don't have this in your reading today. I should have put it in here. But the last verse in chapter 11, before we get to chapter 12, says this. And when the, David sent and brought Bathsheba to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. And this is the part of the verse. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Can I hear that? And in the next verse after that, it says this. So imagine this. The thing David did displeased the Lord. Verse 1 of chapter 12. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. <laughs> you, you know what Nathan the prophet is like? He's God's head lawyer from the Department of Justice. Right? He, he is like a justice 
of the Supreme Court, God's justice and jurisdiction above David and the situation. And Nathan catches David in the web of God's justice, not just God's justice, this this thing hanging out there, but God's justice for Bathsheba and Uriah by telling him a story that made him look from the outside in at the story. Why is that important? You see, Bathsheba and Uriah's value and justice and protection was outside of David. It was outside of his power, outside of how he saw and valued them in a moment. It was above him, which tells us this, as a human, beautiful and vulnerable and mistreated, you are under the Lord's protective order. You and I are protected by God's law. You know what it, meant, what it means to be a protected species? I looked at the web definition. Of course, this refers to animals. But it says a species of animal or plant which, is, which it is forbidden by law to harm or destroy. And number one on protected species lists are endangered species. And it's a species that is very likely to become extinct in the near future, either worldwide or in a particular political jurisdiction. Endangered species may be at risk due to factors such as habitat loss, poaching, and invasive species. We could so easily replace that with human beings, can't we? Especially in this story. See, Nathan in his confrontation to David says this as he describes Bathsheba as a lamb, right? A species, an endangered species, right? An easily poached and, 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 and taken away and, and, and invaded species, right? That the lamb was like a daughter, the passage is. Rare and vulnerable to be poached and lost, taken and moved from their habitat and having their safe thriving places taken away. And look at what happens beginning at verse 5 with me. It says this, then David's anger when he hears the story was greatly kindled against the man, the one who stole. And he used, and, 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 and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. You might be sinned against. And have become in a place endangering to your sense of worth. But as David even says and knows. And Nathan brings down, right? The law of God, y'all. The justice of God calls you protected. Because you are precious. That you are protected in your vulnerability by the law and love of God. Look at what Nathan says in verse 9 here. He says this. Why have you despised not what you think is good? Not, not why have you despised good old-fashioned American values, right? Good old family values, right? This ain't, this ain't what he said. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in whose sight? His sight. Let me tell you something. Human beings are written by the word of God as a protected, according and precious, according to the laws of God, endangered even, according to the laws of God, to be treated as God has said. 
which means to be mistreated or dehumanized or oppressed is against not only the law of the land. We shouldn't look at the law of land and say, hey, you mistreated me this way uh, uh, according to the American Constitution. No, that's, that's a sub-law. That's, that's a lower law, right? According to the law of God, right? It, it isn't a side thing for Christianity then. Well, I'm saved and a good Christian, and I just happen to believe in social justice. I'm a social justice Christian. Our church is concerned, is concerned about social justice for people. Huh? No. Human beings and the rights of dignity are afforded and given to them, not by the Constitution of the United States of America, but by the Word of God. By God himself. We need to find what that level of dignity looks like. That is where we as believers in the church are aimed toward, not just to skate by, not just to get over on the law, not just to do just enough, but to uphold the protective ordinance of God for human beings according to what the scripture says. As God's Department of Supreme Court Justice, Department of, Supreme, Department of, of Justice and the Supreme Court Justice as a prophet, you know who Nathan is representing? Who's he the lawyer for in this passage? The Lord, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he works for the Lord. But the silent plaintiffs, Bathsheba and Uriah, whose pain and sorrow and injustice has risen to the Lord's attention. That has displeased the Lord who because of this pleasure sends his word and representative Nathan to speak the word and law of God's protective order on human beings. You know what the Bible is in large part? You know what this is? I don't think we read it from vulnerable human beings who've been mistreated. And we don't always read it in the light of, of, of being unjust and needing righteousness, right? But do you know what this Bible is? God's published brief to the world for the oppressed, hurt, and silence for justice in our society. And you know what's interesting about this? That is true more then it is a way out or excuse for oppressors. Because people will use this as an excuse, right? To, 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 and I, I can't believe how it's been used as an excuse to not pursue social justice, as an excuse not to care for or see people as oppressed, right? As an excuse to, 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 to misuse those things, to, to get ahead, right? And, and, and yet this is God's brief for the oppressed like you and me who are vulnerable in relationships and situations and society that would do us wrongly. And last week we saw how it looked like David was going to get away with it. Because he was so rich with power and position and place. He was the elected official, right? And Bathsheba and Uriah were so easy, so easily taken. Can't afford no lawyer. They ain't in no royal family. They ain't nobody. He worked for the government. He got a good government job. He worked for the National Guard. That's it. 
He's an enlisted man. Right? He, he, he ain't taking the big check home. He ain't on the joint chief of staff. In fact, he, David told the joint chief of staff to take this enlisted man and have him killed. But remember what verse 27 says. This thing displeased the Lord. What David did was not only legally wrong, according to the word of God, and publicly declared. In fact, Nathan says, I'm going to let everybody know, right? This ain't going to be no secret, blah, 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 right? This is a public, this is, you have, you are public enemy number one, David, as the, as the king, right? We are going to declare it and adjudicate it as wrong because it displeased God. <laughs> Y'all see that? Because sometimes I think we look at a document and we're like, it's wrong because it says it's wrong. Look right here. That's true. That's good because it's the word. It's the law. It needs to be written. Yes, it is written. But it is more than just wrong because it is written. It is written because it displeased God. And remember displeased? What it means from last week? It means wrong. It means, uh, it means uh, hurt, broken up, crying, saddened. God was hurt by them being hurt. He was in a state of displeasure and pain by their pain. He, he, he was not comfortable while this was going on. It bothered God. He had not overlooked or forgotten them. His heart, hear me, was tied to them as human beings. And furthermore, like the lamb in the story, he was tied to them like they were his own possession and people. God has that mama kind of hurt and heart for them. Bathsheba and Uriah were the lamb in Nathan's story, but they were in God's arms. She was a daughter of God and he was a son of God and David took the ones God loved from God's very hands from under his protective order and that justice pulled and tore and made a hole in the fabric of God's emotions for the poor and vulnerable among us and in us. Playing around with God's children and humanity is like playing with his emotions, right? You are protected under God's love for you. God's got feelings for you. Regardless how poor you are. Regardless of how unseen you are. You are fully felt in here by God. Not that you and I won't experience pain and suffering in a fallen world in our vulnerability just from living here. Not that evil men and women and institutions will not get over on us for centuries even. That cycle of sin and sin against will, will, will never end as long as we are human. But we will never come from under of God's protective order and our humanity will never not be endangered in his eyes and in his mission to bring justice. We will always be loved by him. So I know it might feel like God was and is not there in your story. But things that have happened to you, let me say it again, have displeased the Lord. And he is not happy or comfortable with it. What's happened to you pains the Lord 
personally. Even when you can't, he holds every tear you shed. I know you've called on people to care for you, to hear you, to understand you, to be in that ditch with you. He accounts for every tear and every scar at every moment, at every turn. You know what Bathsheba's name means? Daughter of an oath. David learned that day that humankind, hear me, especially and in a peculiar way, God's people are tied by an oath to the Lord. You know what that tells me? Just because her name was Bathsheba, before she even married Uriah or David, she was already the Lord's. She was already married to the Lord. When David stole her and raped her, he took and trafficked the Lord's daughter. The Lord's bride. David declares it right verse first, right? In, in verse 5, he, he says this, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And then in verse 9 again, Nathan comes back and, and, and with more specificity, right? Why have you despised the word of the Lord? He says, you are the man. You did it. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? Let me say this. You and I are not only protected, but we who know and are known by the Lord are peculiar. You know what that means? The Lord gets redemption, not only for your, your life, but from your life. Not only for you, but from you who have been broken and harmed and mistreated. There was a penalty. I want y'all to see that. And payment of death and a legacy of destruction put on David and his family because of what he did. Y'all see that? But Sheba and Uriah's mistreatment was not free. It wasn't swept under the rug. There was a penalty. God was not okay with it because they were just good obedient servants and they just needed to forgive and forget. Right? The country had to move on. There's other policies we need to take care of. Sorry. Let me fold your flag up. There you go. Right? David didn't just get to cause all of this upheaval and then say, okay, okay, Nathan, let's just have peace and unity now. Right? No! There were consequences for harming and oppressing and hurting the protected of the Lord. For those who are vulnerable and without voice, God gives them voice that calls for justice for the sin atrocities committed against them. 
Again, I know for all of us in various situations, there seems like there is no voice and no justice and no peace for how we have been mishandled and done wrong. For some of us, it has been years, right? A lifetime of no apparent writing and righteousness or justice like we saw earlier. The Lord sees and voices and then holds that offense. And then he accounts for it. He puts it down in his book and he will make sure whatever happens to any of us gets paid for. That there is reparation and retribution and even vengeance for being treated than less. But here's the hardship. Hear me carefully, y'all. The stuff people like David have taken, though they may be punished in some form or fashion, That stuff, only God can actually fully pay for, restore, and satisfy in our desire for justice. I didn't say there shouldn't be a penalty. I didn't say the person shouldn't be held accountable. We see that in the story. I I didn't say that the person who did it because you saw that in that story, should be going around saying, yeah, 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 you got hurt. But understand that I can't really fix what's really broken in you. Only God can do that. So let me off. That ain't what David said. David was scared because he thought he was going to die. Did y'all know that? He thought Nathan was going to pull out the sword and cut his head off. Right? So it isn't up to the oppressor to determine the rules of engagement. Right? The rules of how the justice should be carried out for you. Because that happens a lot, right? We start talking about institutional and historical atrocities. We, like, you know, we start talking about all this stuff. If you don't have the, 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 the Nazis or anybody else captured saying, that's, we're so sorry that we killed all those people, but we can't fix really what's wrong. No, they don't do that. This is peculiar, right? What I'm saying is this, and what the Bible is teaching is this, right? If it is the divine image that has been marred, and it has, and scarred, only the divine can truly and fully heal and restore it. Look at the final verses here in, verse, in this chapter, verse 24. Then David comforted his wife, Bathsheba. And maybe I'll talk about this, but I want to make sure I say it. This is the first time in the whole story she's actually called his wife. <laughs> she's, all, she's been Uriah's wife till this point. Then David confronted, comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her. And she bore a son and he called the, his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah. Because of the Lord. Do you see the shift? So like I said, Bathsheba for almost two chapters was referred to as Uriah's wife even after David married her. her, her she, she had gone, she's gone from Uriah's stolen wife to the mother of Solomon. Y'all see that? And by extension and lineage, the mother of Christ. So, so instead of giving birth to just Death, despair, and damage. In her pregnancy and birth of Solomon, the fruit of her womb was blessed and marked by what? 
Jedediah, the love of God. Like the Bible describes the beloved people of God, like this woman, Bathsheba, who was mistreated, maligned, misused, voiceless, messed over, and stolen from, had the Lord, her Lord, go into the wound, right, of sexual and gender sin in this instance, and open up a new river of life and love to flow in and out of her, marked by the ultimate testimony that in her pain and suffering and out of it, she knew and felt and recognized what two things we see here, the comfort and love of the Lord for her inside of her, growing inside of her in a way that could and did, did give birth to life and love, not only for herself, but for and to others. Remember that Bathsheba means daughter of oath, right? This kind of redemption is a gift reserved for a peculiar people. People who are oathed and vowed to be the Lord's through Christ. For those, hear me, who are known by the Lord as his children, as his people, who though like Bathsheba are reborn and recast and even remarried and repaid into the plan and purpose of God as broken sinners through the finished work of Christ. You see, not only was there reparation for Bathsheba for all she lost, but in God bringing her justice, there was a peculiar mercy redemption for David. Look at verse 13 and 14 with me in this chapter. It says this. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. Wow. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who was born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. Right? David's penalty should have been death. But in God seeking justice for Bathsheba, for Bathsheba, he received mercy and grace. We have this idea, I do, that justice for one person or one group means condemnation for the other person or other group. But in God's economy, and I said this is peculiar, in God's economy, even the consequences that David received, he was free to receive then the love and grace of God. And we see that more than any other place in the closing verses again. The Bible says David went and comforted his wife. He went from a selfish, sex-trafficking fool to someone moved by the comfort and love of God. Now, now, on the side, I am not suggesting, please hear me, that the story is always has to be about the offender and oppressor being the hero. I'm tired of that. Right? That the story is about, hey, we see we were wrong. Hey, slavery was wrong. Hey, misogyny is wrong. Hey, beating my wife was wrong or mistreating her or whatever or sleeping around with all these people. I know and, and mis- I know that was wrong, right? And then when they get better, yahoo, right? And that's the story. I'm, I'm not saying that. I want to be careful here. It's not about a wife returning to an abusive husband or slaves returning to slavery. 
This is a peculiar situation of peculiar people. This is about God's choice in redeeming a situation and people within a situation by his own doing, in his time, as he chooses, through the circumstances and details, not ours, to provide comfort to the oppressed and redemption to the broken situation. He offered miracle mercy to David. God turned it and him around. Here's my point for this. Confronting and confessing the wrong someone has done to you for them to be held accountable is not contrary to forgiveness, mercy, and grace for that person. Y'all hear me? Confronting or confessing the wrong someone has done to you or others for them to be held accountable before God is not contrary to forgiveness. In fact, it opens up mercy and grace for that person. David could not know and did not know that kind of love and freedom without being revealed as a chief offender until he could say, I am the man in this situation who led others to do wrong as a leader. Confess your sins and those of others where necessary. The Lord is merciful and full of grace. You will not only be free and foster repair for those you have hurt, but God will free you from your heart of oppression because it was only then that Solomon, the one God loved, was born. David and Bathsheba found and knew the love of God for themselves and each other. Only, y'all hear me? Only the God of the Bible could have done that. Only the God of the Bible does this. The Lord alone, the Bible's teaching, holds and gives justice and mercy and punishment and forgiveness, law and grace in a perfectly redemptive manner. They, in this situation, and hopefully yours, is peculiar. We close. Look back at 13 with me one more time. For you did this in secretly, but Nathan says, I'm going to say it out loud. And uh, that we looked at 13 already. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Grace, mercy, forgiveness, right? Nevertheless, because by this deed, you utterly scorned the Lord. The child who was born to you shall die. All right. You see, Bathsheba and David experienced God's life, love, redemption, reparation, and comfort after and because the firstborn son was punished and suffered and became a victim of their sin. That the son was put into a position where he couldn't say no if things were going to be made right. His death freed the way for comfort Love to be born and reborn. Don't get it twisted. This is not a pep talk about things going to get better, ooh, child, and easier and turning things around for yourself. No, Jesus, Jesus, God's only begotten son was born into this world. And he lived suffering and he died and felt the pain of our inability to say no to being mistreated and abused and victimized. He became the victim and shared our victimization and a punishment due for our mistreatment. Jesus died and was devalued for our devaluing. Do you hear that? He was born into our sin. He entered our pain and died so that we can live and know the comfort and love of God. 
And what shall we say? And due to this great and peculiar love as freed, we should be to be like Nathan, be used by God to speak truth, to power from and according to the word of God for those without voice or smothered by poverty and fear and danger. And then as David's, those who have sinned to become comforters to the maligned and marginalized and hurt and like Bathsheba to bring love and salvation and testimony and hope in the world out of what have surely should have destroyed us. See, MLK Day should be a holiday. In other words, a holy day for us. We should use tomorrow to meditate and concentrate on this very thing during the day tomorrow to ask ourselves in light of what Jesus done for us and in us, who are we comforting? Where are you speaking truth and offering mercy and justice of power? It doesn't have to be at a rally. It can be next door. It can be a text. It can be a phone call. It can be Zoom. It can be a spouse. It can be a neighbor. It can be a family member. It can be an old boyfriend that you're in safe distance from emotionally and physically who did you wrong. It might be encouraging and ministering to someone who's been abused with the message and ministry of Jesus that changed you and your situation. It might be as one gospel song says, it suggests ministering to and encouraging yourself with these truths. Why? Because Christ died. And then the believers, and then believed, right? And we believe rather that he lived and lives as the beloved of the Lord. Christ our Jedediah. When we should and couldn't say no to sin. The God of the Bible through Jesus Christ said yes to us. Said yes to us. Says yes to us. Says yes to us. Y'all hear me? He says yes to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. We've all been victims and we've all been victimized. Lord, in Christ Jesus, there is mercy and grace in him alone in peculiar relationship with him for the oppressed and the oppressor. And Lord, we sit and stand in both places. Enslaved and the slave master, each one of us. And we need the power of Christ, born again, having died and rose for us. Please, Lord. I pray for those under the sound of my voice who are listening at home. All kinds of shameful things have happened. And Lord, you see it and you're displeased by it. Unspoken, even unspeakable things. So many things in the dark, nobody may ever know. But you do. And you can go right there in that dark place and fix it. There are lies. There are hidden lives. There is all kind of broken and abusive situations that we've tried to build a life on top of. But like we see in this story, the foundation of David and Bathsheba in the kingdom of Israel is death 
resurrection in Christ and new life as the foundation. Give us new life in Christ. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.